Hello everybody, I'm your host Guillaume Cochois and you're listening to a new episode of Tapis Rouge. Today's shoutout goes to Joseph Pinzon from Washington DC, who was the first one to find out our guest today, Dominique Champagne. A little fun fact about Joseph Pinzon. His face is the blazing twin figure on the poster of Ka. Okay, now, if you've been working in the industry or have been a sick fan for a long time, you know that Dominique Champagne is a pillar of Cirque du Soleil. As you're about to find out, Dominique first came into Cirque during a very tumultuous period and still got to create three of its most iconic shows, Varakai, Zumanity, and Love. Dominique is a fantastic storyteller and I'm delighted to share our conversation with you guys. So here he is, the most iconic Dominique Champagne. Dominique, welcome to Tapis Rouge. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure for me to be with you today. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, Dominique, you're a very important player in the history of Cirque du Soleil. You've done many iconic shows. So why don't you just take us from the very beginning? How did your Cirque du Soleil journey start? Well, actually, it's a, it's a strange story. Uh, I had nothing to do with Cirque, actually. And, uh, but I remember the, the early days of Cirque du Soleil. I was, I was uh, directing uh, myself uh, a production uh, from uh, Waiting for Godot, from Samuel Beckett's uh, play mm -hmm. in the summer '84 in Quebec City, where Cirque du Soleil had a huge uh, success with the first big, I would say, of the, the, the first big show they put on the road. So I was kind of a witness. And quite early in the process, uh, my girlfriend at that state, uh, uh, who uh, became my wife, actually, uh, she's my wife now for 30 close to 38 years. Congratulations. Her roommate and, and friends were working on costumes and things in her apartment in, in those days, you know? So I remember like the very early years and the roots of it before it became like the big, you know, mm -hmm. the big, the big multinational success story. It was a, a story of almost a family a family business you know with mm -hmm. with people that i was in touch with even though i was not coming from the world of uh, of cirque or, or acrobatic itself uh so i've been like the witness of the first shows uh, i i'm not sure i've seen like all the the shows but certainly like i remember quite well uh, uh nouvelle experience mm -hmm. uh, shows like uh, saltembanco alegria kidam uh, so I've seen like the early years and uh, and meanwhile, in parallel, it's a funny story, but uh, I had a little street clown act when I was uh, 19 and 20, the summer of my 20s. Okay. I was traveling in Europe and uh, one day I was doing my, I, I got stolen in, in, uh, in, uh, in Italy of everything I had, like my backpack, even my red nose and all that stuff. Oh yeah, you got robbed, everything was stolen. I was stolen of everything, and I and on the boat. Then I went back from Italy to Greece, uh, maybe to pick uh, some whatever tomatoes or or uh, <laughs> vegetables, like to earn a living. You know, work in a restaurant or whatever. And on the on the on the ship from uh, Brindisi, south of Italy, to Patras, I met with uh, 
I was doing my, my little street performance. You know, I had mm-hmm. like this uh, 12 or 15 minutes act as a clown. And I met an Egyptian who had in his, in his arm a monkey. Okay. And this guy had for a living his monkey. He would go into a, to work in a, in a circus. It was actually an Italian circus that was touring in Europe and that day in Athens. And the, the Italian circus was called American Circus. And it was like one of those big, <laughs> one of those big tree ring circus, you know, with animals, tigers, lions, elephants, mm-hmm. and clowns and acrobatic acts and all that stuff. And the guy was making his living by putting his monkey in the arms of the people in audience, take a Polaroid, a picture of them, and then wow. selling the, the picture for like one or two drachmas, the money in Greece at that time. Yes. And this guy watching me doing that performance told me, maybe I could have a job for you in a circus I'm going to. So after a few days in Athens, waiting for maybe this job to happen, the guy came to, uh, I was, I was uh, sleeping on the rooftop of an hotel for like uh, <laughs> Something like one drachma or two per day, oh per night. God, yeah. And I remember the guy told me, yeah, you got a job. And then I became not, not a clown in, a, in that circus, but I worked as a, as a technician. Oh, okay. Carrying like the elephants, for instance. One of my cues was to carry uh, two elephants in a row, running, on, carrying them on stage. And these elephants are very uh, nervous artists. So when they <laughs> when they enter on stage, they usually do one thing: they shit on stage. So yes. my job was to go back, take the shovel, and then and clean uh, <laughs> take the take the shit out of the stage. So I I started my career actually as a shit elephant shit carrier in the circus, an Italian circus in based in Athens. And 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 to me, I was like living in Wonderland at that time. You know, it was like one of those very old-fashioned European Cirque. And and this was the summer 83. So the summer after I've seen the birth of a new Cirque tradition with no animals, mostly Mm -hmm. based on on artist's performance, on human beings' performance, and on a very theatrical approach. So... uh, and a, f- a few years later, I rented a, 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 a very small big top in the old part of Montreal, where I created a show based on that experience that I had in the circus. It was mostly a theater, a theater mm-hmm. show. You know, I'm, I'm, I was, I'm a playwright at first. And, uh, and uh, well, uh, to make a long story short, one day, uh, uh, five minutes before the opening of the show, I was working on the rooftop of that big top and I fell down in the parking and I broke my two feet. And I, then I spent a few months laying down. I was told by the doctor, you will never walk again. Really? It was kind of a very traumatic moment. I was, it was my start as a playwright, as a director and as a producer with my little theater company in this place. Mm-hmm. That was the summer uh, 88. Okay. Uh, 12 years later, once I received a phone call from Guy La Liberté, who wanted to meet with me and propose me to direct, to create the next show of Cirque du Soleil, okay. precisely on the site where I had fell on my feet and broken oh, yeah. my feet uh, 12 years before. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of a strange uh, stars, uh, you know, lighting my, my little... Yeah, the universe was trying to tell you something. Right. So, and then I decided, well, I said, uh, I was kind of a successful creator, let's say, in the underground field Mm -hmm. in Montreal, mostly. Um, I was a playwright. 
because no no director or near nor producer wanted to pr produce my plays. Mm -hmm. I had to become the director of my own plays and pr to produce them. And it was my it's been my living for years, you know. Yeah. And 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 finally, I reached like the big audiences and had like a little more budget to do my shows. But when sick comes into my life, I'm still quite of a I would say a craftsman. Okay. Yeah. And I shared that with Guy La Liberté. I said, you know what? I'm a Volkswagen. I feel like I'm a Volkswagen driver. <laughs> and now you're you're offering me like to drive an F1. Yes. And I don't know if I can make it. And uh, we had like a quite a frank and good conversation. And and then I could I could see uh, the gambler inside Guy La Liberté because yeah. he really took a bet on me. Like what she looked at me in my eyes. He didn't know much about me. Of course, like people from Sig would come and see my shows for mm -hmm. years. Uh, but he really, I, I, I've seen like the gambler betting on, betting on me. Yeah. And I, what I ask is that if you, if you agree that I could go and watch some of the show of Cirque here and there in the, in the continent and in Europe, and then eventually do a workshop, I will tell you if I'm your man or not, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it seems to me like a nice challenge, but I'm not part of this world. Acrobatics is, is an absolutely uh, strange language to me. And mm. I'm a playwright, you know, and I know that at sick you don't talk. So how can I create a good show with no words, you know? Uh, yeah. So it was kind of, a, it was kind of thrilling, exciting, but in the meantime, it was some sort of, it would give me like butterflies in the stomach, you know, some vertigo. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Am I a good man to, to do that? And, and I would say, especially, I just, uh, I, I just assist, attend to the, uh, to Franco, uh, Franco's funeral uh, yeah. a few weeks ago. And uh, like, from my perspective, Cirque du Soleil was, of course, like the meeting of all those guys, Guy La Liberté, Gilles mm -hmm. Saint-Croix, Michel Gret, certainly Dominique Lemieux that I was at school with, uh, uh, the costume designer. Costume designer, uh, yeah. Jean-Yves Cadieu was at first the, 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 the assistant of uh, Michel Gret, who was like, uh, who my work, my, my, girlf my girlfriend worked with for her on costume. And so what, what, I'm, what I was going to say is that I, when Guy invited me, I didn't know that, but I realized quite early in the process that Cirque was in the middle of a crisis because Franco had just left. Gilles Saint-Croix had left, uh, was gone to do his own horse show. Mm -hmm. Michel Crête, like the big genius, the set designer behind all Franco's shows. Mm -hmm. And mostly I would say behind, oh, you know, like the magician, yeah. the genius with the water on stage show is Michel Crête. So they were all gone. Oh, okay. And the show that had followed was Dralion. Mm -hmm. At first, well, I remember when I've seen that show in, in Montreal, it was far from being a success. Oh, really? So I, I realized that actually, very candidly, I had accepted an invitation in the Cirque where it was not easy to find who was the artistic heart of it. Because mm -hmm. they were mostly gone. I understand, yeah. And Guy was still, of course, like, he was still like the guide of mm -hmm. this company. But Guy was already a step into uh, what he would call himself the second chapter of Cirque du Soleil's life. Mm -hmm. He was more thinking in terms of hotels and, 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 and places where he would not be only like the show in the hotel, but also the owner of the, or the designer or the entire of the mm -hmm. entire experience inside inside a 
an entertainment site or an hotel, casino, or whatever. Yeah. So, so that's one thing. Okay, like I, I, I kind of enter in a world that I'm very stranger to. I'm an humble playwright. I'm quite successful in a small scale show that I do. Mm-hmm. I have quite an open mind to all sorts of artistic form. I would say I would gather like musicians in my shows and uh, uh, dancers and mixing like different uh, approach in my own theater. But it was mostly based on storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, having a, a very good and frank and deep conversation with Franco at that uh, time, uh, mm-hmm. sharing those thoughts that I have. Why don't you tell a story? Why is it like always somehow Alice in Wonderland? You know, you open mm-hmm. a door so we can feel that there is a theme, there is an emotion, there is an intention behind what you're doing. But then the fantasy take it all. And I, as a playwright, I, I miss a, a better storytelling. And then Franco told me, well, your limits in terms of writing uh, ends where the acrobatic starts. And, mm. and your job as a director is to serve, to serve the art of acrobatics. This is what makes the huge success of it all. I mean, mm-hmm. people are going there for many different reasons, but in the heart of that, I'd say they, they, they're going there to see artists making possible things that seems impossible mm-hmm. to a, let's say a normal human being. Yeah. So I took that lesson, you know, of trying to make possible something that seems impossible mm-hmm. and trying to flirt with the limit of dramatic storytelling and the art of circus using the, the entire the- theatricality that was in the heart of the success of so already at this point you can start to understand like your vision right. is starting to shape up and, and 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 i would say the big challenge to me was trying to be myself serving the monster what i would call the monster <laughs> yeah. you know like a very powerful successful uh titan in a way you know mm-hmm. with my my honesty but also my my will to say what I have to say and mm-hmm. and express what I have to express. So I needed to, I think the first, the first one I had, I needed to serve was me as a creator. Like I need to be, I need to be happy and to be satisfied of what I'm doing. And, yes, it, I, sure. and I, and I knew it was a big challenge to me because normally I write. Then I started writing a show for the first time of my life, a show with no words. Uh, yeah. And with the guidance of some friends, mostly uh, on top of it, I would say Andrew Watson, who was my artistic director at this point, mm-hmm. director of creation, as called in Cirque. Uh, Stéphane Mongeau was a friend yeah. of mine. Uh, he was, a, he was a, my lighting designer in my very early shows. We yeah. were students <laughs> together at school. Oh, really? And then okay. he was proposed to his first director of production yes. at Cirque in the, in the meantime, the same time as me. So we, and we some, some, somehow we made a deal. So we, uh, Stefan could understand exactly what I needed, what I wanted to achieve mm-hmm. on a personal level, you know, to serve Cirque, but also yeah. to be myself and to serve myself. And honestly, I feel that even though the success was huge on the very first night. Varakai, so the first show was Varakai and it was a success. First, first show, night. there was a standing ovation after 10 minutes of show during the Icarian Games, yeah. where actually I had hired artists 
that were part of that family of this Italian circus I work for in uh, in Athens. The Bellows, yeah. And uh, so it was a success. Okay, so I made it. I, I can say mm-hmm. on, uh, with uh, with humility, I hope that uh, it's been quite a a huge success. And on the very first night, Cirque Soleil mm-hmm. was very really used to not to be ready at the op- at their opening night, talking about a working progress that will. Mm find his maturity uh, in a few weeks or months within the first year of tour yeah and and to me i couldn't i couldn't afford that as a as a the producer of my own little play i had to be ready in the first night normally you know <laughs> so i had i had done that commitment i want with with the sick i want to do the same as i'm 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 doing it with my show so we were very successful so that's one thing but in, in the other hand I couldn't pretend that I succeed in doing that mixture in between telling a good story mm-hmm. and serve the acrobatics. And in the end, I went on that side. I say, I realized how powerful and talented those guys were. And I, my job, beside what I thought at first, say what you have to say and do what you have to do. Uh, I think that I had to serve them because we want the artist to be pleased in front of an audience that's, that is also pleased and charmed. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was like the big lesson of this show that I tried, I, did, I gave my best, but in a way it was very unsatisfying to me to succeed the, the, my personal goal. So when I was offered to do the next show at Cirque, who became Zumanity the year after. Do you get offered to do the next show right after Varekai came out? If I remember well, it was during even the last days of Varekai, you know, or it was still not created, but certainly in those days, you know, there was already a director that was working on the show, Philippe de Coufflet, and mm-hmm. I think yes. it didn't go very well. And uh, and then I was offered to 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 take the Coufflet's uh, part and, and to mm-hmm. create the show. And I said, well, you know what? I need to take a step back from Cirque just to to make sure that I understand quite where I failed, you know, in in, in the challenge I had, even though the success was there, you know. Mm-hmm. So I kept on working on Varekai for months. I've been uh, I've been touring with the show, like going a few days here and there in the, in the cities, uh, in Canada, in the states, trying to achieve and improve the show. And and uh, but uh, and I gave. Uh, I gave a recommendation to Guy and Andrew Watson mm-hmm. the, that they take a, a friend of mine, René Richard Cyr, to to to, deray, to create and direct the show that was uh, going to be called Zumanity. Mm-hmm. So even though the show Varekai was a huge success, even though the company was pleased, everyone was happy, you still told Guy, "I'm not satisfied yet. I want to keep I want right, to right. and I want to keep working on the show and improve and improve and improve." I want to keep working on 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 the show, trying to give my best. And also go back to my roots, you know, to my field where I write plays and I, I try to rock the house with the with my words and my mm-hmm. and gathering different type of people. So, and then almost a year later, uh, I had a I had a I spent a few days actually with Andrew Watson in New York City presenting, doing the press, uh, the PR press mm-hmm. for his Varika. It was going to be presented in the in New York, and uh, and then Andrew confessed me that. The creative process of humanity was very tough, oh, okay. and it was it was a big challenge for them to to hit. And then when I came back home, René Richard had called my wife, 
and confessing the same thing, you know, how desperate somehow he was in that creative oh, process okay. and he needed and that he needed some help. So I, then I came to help my friend, my friends, René Richard and Andrew, but just like as a, as a friend, you know, as a mm-hmm. helper, I was not hired to do so. And then I realized that to, to me, okay. And, and this is like, this is like, now we're approaching a, a taboo field. Okay. Okay. From the outside, Cirque du Soleil is perceived as one of the best creative machine on earth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as a creator, on the very personal level, I realized that I couldn't use that wonderful creative machine in order to serve my own creativity with Varekai. Okay. And I had to understand why. But then I realized that a very talented director who was a friend of mine was also facing the same problem. He was not able to give the best of himself using that beautiful creative machine called Cirque du Soleil. Mm-hmm. And then I had those discussions with Guy La Liberté, with Andrew, and said, well, there is a problem at Cirque now. This is not the Cirque that you want to be. And I understand that now you are doing the deals for the next show to come or for the, the influence that you would have, the partnership you would, be, you would uh, create for hotels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in the rehearsal room, we have a creative problem because... It's like we, you can send, uh, let's say, headhunters all over the planet. I can watch at Cirque videos of wonderful artists and wonderful acts. I can rent or buy almost anything I want. It's yeah. like I felt like you are in the Walmart of circus <laughs> act, you know, yes. and with your and your. You're, you're going in the rows and say, well, maybe a little of that and a little of this, and you're starting not doing your cooking, but you're starting to buy a big part of your creation. And I mm-hmm. said, I f- I'm afraid that Cirque has lost his heart of, cr- of creative heart. Uh, do you mean because it was too much? It was too big? There are too many because the Because for many different reasons, you know, certainly like the money, the success, the fact that you need to put on the road a show that will rock and deliver, uh, the feel that, somehow be, be outside Cirque du Soleil, there are talents that now Cirque has the power to hire, to attract. Mm-hmm. But when you put those guys together, they don't necessarily give the best of themselves to create the best show. So, and I'm not saying that Varekai or Zumanti were not good shows, mm-hmm. but I could see that there was a, there was a big challenge in the heart of the, creative team that a director was asked to direct and it started and and zumani and and i, I would say on one hand that during varekai even though i understood that in the process i didn't know at first okay it was not a conscious thing uh, i wouldn't say decadence it was but i had those conver- very frank conversation with with guy uh, at the end of varekai and then when Gilles and croix came back at Cirque trying to help the creation of Zumanity. So he mm-hmm. came back from his uh, horse uh, circus experience. So it looks like a lot of people were coming to help Zumanity. Coming to help. And with Gilles, I had like a good friendship and a good contact. So we can go deeper and deeper into those conversations, trying to understand how we can, how a director can use this wonderful machine to give his best. And 
when Franco came, he came at the stage where Cirque was was starting. So he grew with Cirque. Mm-hmm. So and he started at big at the beginning. He had like three weeks to stage a show, and then the, the show and the success and the the means and the money gave him like more, much more opportunities, but yes. much more pressure as well. Much mm-hmm. more talent, but much more a need to be efficient and to sell tickets. And at one point, I think that th- there was a break in the balance of yeah. doing. Show business. Mm-hmm. It was my very first show business experience. I used to create show where, of course, the business was important because we need you need to pay your the the actors you're hiring, your or the set designer you're hiring. But on a, such a a small level that I didn't care much about the business. And at one point, it was some somehow a duty not to care about the business to do the show that you really mm-hmm. purely wanted to do. In the meantime, I love success. So, and it's always <laughs> like a, 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 I think I think Hitchcock said that the very the, the the blessing of a show of a final creation at one point is success. And I do believe that that if you don't succeed to charm, if you don't succeed to make feel the artist good in front of an audience that are applauding them, mm-hmm. then you failed. So success is a key, but in the meantime, you can ruin your little voice, you know, your inner voice that that mm-hmm. says, okay, use all those talents to say something. So on Vareka, it was clear to me that because I was creating this show on the place where I felt and broke my feet, mm-hmm. I knew that there was a lesson that you can break your wings and find a way to fly again. Take these broken mm, wings and yeah. learn to fly as uh, the beat, as McCartney wrote. So I, I wanted to say that, you know, I, want, I wanted Varekai to become like the ritual of a falling angel, mm-hmm. breaking his wings, kissing with death, and be brought back to life and beauty by the help of, a humanity in, in the middle mm-hmm. of a forest. That's what that was like the entire ritual of uh, around which I I, I based Varekai. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and I would say like somehow I I certainly succeeded of transmitting a, a few drops of that. You know, yeah, definitely. But mostly, sure. I felt like I didn't use the the wonderful creative machine as much as I should have. And when I when I t- when I started working on Zumanity, so what made you officially said yes? Because now you're going to help your friends. Well, it was I would say it was mostly mostly to help my friends at first. You know, I I I could see like I I had like two calls from two very good person that I, I respected a lot, Andrew Watson and Rani Richard Seal. They were both calling for help. I came. I realized. Uh, where they were, I thought they had like a very good stuff in their hands, but I could see, I could measure very clearly the challenges that was theirs. And, uh, you know, like, okay, there's, that's another taboo. Okay. Okay. When I, when I answered Guy La Liberté, you know, Guy, I will not do the second show you're offering me. I feel I need a break. I need to make a step back. And Guy was kind of the driving force for the company to keep on rocking the planet and to mm-hmm. grow. And I remember said, telling him, I think Andrew Watson served you a lot over the last two years. I've been re- working with him every day. 
but I don't think he should. I should. I think he should be given a break. He should not drive Zumaniti because I feel he he has like two. Ba- he has one kid. I think his wife was pregnant at that stage, or or he had a very young baby, and say, so, well, you know what? At one point, we cannot always say the show must go on. You know, there is a part yeah. where you need to live. You'd find a balance with your life. Yeah. Right. And uh, so that was one year before you, Zumaniti. A year later, I found Andrew Watson in an hospital. I had a call. I was working at CIRC, coming to help him. And his assistant came to me. Andrew was phoning me and not his wife and no one else for me to come in the hospital in, in a place where he was for like the two or last two or three uh, days, previous days, not being in good shape mentally and physically. Oh, like you were having a ner- nervous breakdown or something like that? Some sort of a nervous breakdown, you know? So, And then I came to Guy. Guy had some sort of a meningite in the meantime. It was like, it was a, a tough moment for Cirque. And I, so if you're asking me, why did I accept finally a year after? It was mostly to help friends. And of course, I love doing shows. I love those talents and I love the talent. I love artists. And it was some sort of a big challenge because Guy was also trying to open a new fear for Cirque. Mm-hmm. beside a normal Cirque show, yeah. which was like a sexy cabaret. And René Richard had this idea to make a tribute to all sorts of sexuality, all mm-hmm. sorts of bodies. While in Vegas, you know, like the, the, the show business sexy tradition was to have like all the, the pattern of all the women looking like the same, exactly having the, same, the feather yeah. and, their, and their ass at the same place. Mm-hmm. And René Richard was trying to say, okay, we're going to tell a story between Uh, a, 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 a small Lilliputian and a mm. beautiful Russian flying artist, for instance. We're mm, going to try, yeah. we're going to have like the Botero sisters from Brazil, big, fat, funny, uh, pers- sympathetic personality. And we yeah. created that show, mixing all sorts of elements. It was tough to, to, to put it together and to give, to have like the, the cohesion of, of an artistic show, but we finally made it. Yeah. Our partner in this episode is Circus Talk, the online career marketplace for circus and the performing arts. Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource bringing news, events and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way, instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artist profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk Talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code TAPIROUGE in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to Pro and use the code TAPIROUGE to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. All right, guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. 
the pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program, and after six weeks, I got back on stage. But I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions, and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, what did you do for your back? And I thought, I could put it all out in a clear and clean way, instead of always pulling random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists, and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring, and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain that also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now, let's get back to the show. Chaos is a big part of a creative process. And sometimes yeah. we, well, we are afraid of chaos, but we need to trust the chaos. And I could say that Zumanity to me was like my journey into the Apocalypse Now journey. <laughs> you know, it was very chaotic. A lot of people were crying, not knowing where they were, where they were going. Mostly a, a few good friends. And, and in the end, we succeeded. I mean, yeah. I could see, I could see the f- strength and the s- very creative support, no doubt about it, from Guy La Liberté and from Gilles Saint-Croix this, during those days, supporting me and René Richard and to, to make the show happen. So I've yeah. seen how supportive, how confident they were in the, po- in the creative power of a few people. So the opening night of Zumanity was some sort of a nightmare. You know, it was so shocking for people who were expecting another Walt Disney show and where they would find people half naked playing with fires and snakes and things, you know, and going into a dark, the dark zone of what Guy would call the edge. You know, he was, mm-hmm. he was telling us like, let's, let's push to the edge. Let's, flirt with the edge did you feel ready for the first night of humanity because you said on no, Varica, the, the you show said the that. show was not ready it was not ready at all it was not uh, absolutely successful okay. but Guy and others they were used to working progress and to 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 support I miss the brand was still 
very strong and I, it mm-hmm. was not sold out, but the, the ticket sales were going well, even though the show okay. was not, I mean, it was not a piece of shit. It was a beautiful show <laughs> in many ways, but it was not, it was not achieved, you know? So, and, and, and then again, in this show, I, I've been, I went to Vegas like maybe like a, for a year, a year and a half, uh, once in a month or once every two months for a few days working with the artistic directors and trying to bring this show to its potential. And we made it. The show became very successful in the end. So to me, the big lesson was two things. It's a big challenge for Sin Soleil to be able to create new mm-hmm. acts, yeah. new show, new form of art. Even though that happened in the mid 80s and was very successful during, let's what we would call the golden age of Franco's Mm -hmm. era, let's say. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was clear to me after those two experiences, Varekai and Zumanity, that it was a big challenge for us to create show and to be successful in the creative process, even Mm -hmm. though from the outside, it really looked like a fairy tale. It looked like something easy. Well, you know, you're, you're working with the, the talent and the money of Soleil and, and the support of the brand, it's a, it's a piece of cake creating a show. It, yeah. was, it was the absolute reverse of that. Yeah. And then maybe I could have thought that Varekai was some sort of a mistake, but then two shows in a row serving me the same lesson uh, c- confirmed me that it was not an easy one to create a show at Cirque. And one night on the plane, on the private uh, jet of Guy, coming back from Vegas, from Zumanity, I was all still in a very shaky uh, situation that I was getting better. I was offered, I was told by Guy, uh, one night I had a dream with George Harrison. We're flirting or dreaming of this idea of creating a show with the Beatles. Franco was on it for a while. Uh, he's, he's, he's not really into it. So I want to ask you, me, if I wanted to direct uh, the great reunion in between Sturg Soleil and the Beatles. And honestly, I couldn't say no. I was working on the show, on the next big top show at this point. Okay. That, that actually became Corteo. So when I, let's say, when I moved to the Beatles show, uh, Lynn Tremblay and uh, Gilles and Guy asked uh, Daniele to, to, mm. to, to create Corteo, what became Corteo. So, but I was like the one working on that. That was what was supposed to become the next big top show in 2005. Okay. So, and then I said, okay, I said, Guy, you know what? If you're now, I've, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be my third show at Cirque. I want to handle it the way I think we should work. I will not buy any acts. So of course, like casting department, we keep on trying to get the best talents all over the place, but I want to create every single moment of the, that show from A to Z as the Beatles created their songs. Okay. Let's say beside Twist and Shout and uh, uh, Rock and <laughs> yeah. Roll Music, most of the big hits, like most of the 205 songs of the Beatles work, they, they were creations. Mm-hmm. So I say, well, if if I'm if I'm the one, you know, dealing with this imposing uh, material, artistic material, I want the sit to reach or to be at the same level. So there's no way to me that I'm gonna buy acts already uh, existing, mm-hmm. uh, reshape the music, the cost, well, the costumes, uh, yeah, the lighting, mean, yeah. and the surroundings, and put them on stage. 
I want to create the entire show. And I want the show not to be based on what we call an acrobatic skeleton. Most of the show at Cirque, even mm-hmm. Zumanity, they were based on a strong acrobatic skeleton with those, let's say, ground level act, mid-level and aerial act. Oh, uh, yeah, I see. Group and solo and duets with a, with something that you feel like you can see the pacing, a strong opening, mm-hmm. a strong flying act there or whatever that would make like the, 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 the highlights of the shows. Mm-hmm. So I say, well, I want to create something that will not be an acrobatic show. It won't be a dance show. It won't be a, a musical. It won't be a rock opera. It won't be a play. And then, and then he's asked me what, so when, what, what is, what is going to be? And then I say, well, you know what? I think we, we should call it a rock and roll poem. Oh. And, and then I started working on that, okay? Going back to my roots, which were the words. And at this level with the Beatles, I had the basic, the great foundation of a good star- storytelling that a lot of pe- millions of people knows, mm-hmm. the, 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 the story of the Beatles and the words of the songs. Yeah. And the heart, in the heart of those songs, there are so many things that I want to share with the Beatles and the rest of the world talking about love, talking, talking about revolution, talk, talking, about, talking about the fact that you open your mind to other realities, spiritualities, mm-hmm. civilization, way of thinking, the story of a great friendship, uh, uh, all sort of things. So I say, okay, now I'm going to go back to the roots of writing. I'm going to write a show. Meanwhile, I'm going to do casting. I'm going to start a dialogue with the Beatles and... It was mostly Paul McCartney was writing to me, sending me ideas of what he thought the show should be. We had exchanges. Uh, and then I would start going in London once in a while, sharing those ideas, mostly with George Martin and his son, Giles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and once in a while, meeting with Paul, uh, briefly with Ringo, but mostly Paul, Olivia Harrison, and uh, Yoko Ono. And how were these exchanges? How did they perceive your proposition, your artistic vision? And it was, it was. I mean, to when you when you are in a rehearsal room or in a creative room with talented people. I mean, sometimes it might not happen because for any chemistrical reason, I would say the alchemy is not good, but most of the time when you are with talented people, it goes well, it's fun. It's, and to me, it's been a lot of work. It was very mm-hmm. challenging. We, we had like no, there was no way we could fail with that, with that project. <laughs> yeah, so sure. there was a, there was a lot of pressure. Uh, and I felt like I could, I could have been the one who would spoil the masterpiece, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember precisely in the Abbey Road Studios one day when I shared those thoughts with uh, George Martin and Giles Martin saying, well, you know what? I, I heard John Lennon saying that he didn't want to end in a show in Las Vegas, referring to the fat Elvis experience, oh, yeah. you know? And I say, well, you know what? I feel like I'm the one now directing the show where John Lennon will be performing <laughs> in Las Vegas. And I don't want to fail. I want, I want Sh- Sean Lennon. I want Yoko. I want Julian Lennon. I want all the Beatles, uh, Olivia Harrison, Danny Harrison. I want those guys to be proud and pleased about mm-hmm. the work that I'm doing. And on a very personal level, I want to be myself. I want to, I want to meet with the, the creativity and the talent. And I'm not saying that I have that genius, the genius, of course, that uh, Mc, Lennon McCartney has 
and Harrison and Ringo. But what I'm saying is that I felt that it was my window of opportunity to create my, my show out of the Beatles uh, material and the Cirque du Soleil uh, creativity or, or vision, you know. And, and it's been two years of my life where I tried to give my best in all those directions, you know, researching ideas, trying some dance with non-choreographers, but mixing dance and acrobatics and mm -hmm. storytelling and drama and comic act and visual effects. And I say, well, I, for instance, I say, okay, we need to feel the love. It, it starts with the love story and it ends with the love story, this entire work. And we need to share this huge power of love with this show. Mm -hmm. uh, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want a moment where the people would feel that they drop an acid or they took some drug and now they're really on the psychedelic wave, you know? Mm -hmm. And I want the enlightenment that George Harrison opened to the Beatles group and eventually to the, to the Western civilization, mm -hmm. a new way of approaching uh, spirituality with Here Comes the Sun. So I, and, and then I, I, here and there, from the Beatles' dramatic, poetical experience, words, I started to wave and to create my show. So it was mostly writing, and then searching for the right uh, way to embody th those words or those ideas, keeping an open mind that, okay, this could be an acrobatic act, but not necessarily an acrobatic moment. Mm -hmm. And normally in an acrobatic development, you would give an artist, let's say four, five, six, seven minutes, even sometimes nine minutes to yeah. create, to build the act. Beatles songs last two minutes and a half. The longest yeah. would like, hey Jude is the longest, it's probably like seven minutes, but most of the Beatles songs, they are very short. Very short yeah. So I say, well, there is a challenge now that we will, we, we, I think I, I, can, I can tell a story, use the creativity of Cirque du Soleil as, it, as, it, as, it, as its best and share this, uh, this creative power that I like, like like when you hear the Beatles music still, you know, you mm -hmm. feel so good. You feel so yeah, tr transformed and, and, and elevated in a way, you know? So, so to me, it was, it was, and, and because it was my third show, I felt like I was starting, I wouldn't say mastering, but I knew, I knew the business. I knew what kind of a leadership I would say needed in mm. terms of creativity to feel that we are creating a full brand new show. And finally we made it. I mean, it's been, the show has been for the first five years over a hundred percent occupancy. It was a huge success. And again, I would come once in a while trying to push the envelope mm -hmm. because I knew that here and there, the show was not achieved, but, I was so pleased by the fact that, okay, we made it. I made it. And I, I think at the end, everyone was happy, maybe except me, because <laughs> I remember the, the night before opening night uh, in 2006, in June 2006, I, I told my creative team, okay, I think that out of the plan and the ideas that we share and that we have, the show now is at like 65% of, of its potential. That's the note I'm giving ourselves, and I hope mm -hmm. we can make it to a hundred percent, you know. Mm -hmm. And it took me 10 years. I, I've been coming back for five years at Cirque, 
trying to improve the show or to make the show how I wanted it to be. And it was very challenging because those guys, they were performing 10 shows per week. Yeah, They were happy two minutes when they would see me coming back. Very smiley because we had like a very strong experience together. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I was like coming with a, an overcharge for of work, you know, <laughs> or an overload of work for them. So after five years, I decided to, I said, well, okay, this is it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to complain. I'm probably the only one who's not happy about the show when I, <laughs> when I, when I attend to it, you know, and six years ago in 2016, I was given the opportunity to celebrate the 10th anniversary to, to have the show stop for three weeks. I was given a certain amount of millions to <laughs> bring the show where uh, I felt the dream uh, was and I was probably like one of the best compliment I had from from the show from Olivia Harrison a few days after this uh, reopening night uh, in 2016. She said, "Well, I finally saw the show you were talking about uh, ten years ago, wow, and I was so pleased amazing. to hear that." You know, so we and and and, and that experience. Uh, we 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 even had a problem when you, we opened the show. The people in the audience they didn't want to leave the house. Oh, really? It felt so good to gathered around this work brought by the Beatles, but by also the big, I would say, the nice balance with humanity, the warmth. You can see like the the smell of the artist on stage with the show. While meanwhile, you have like those very big spectacular uh, scenographic shots or spectacular shots or dramatic or acrobatic. And I found like we we've we've waved. Uh, of course, with the support of this beautiful, uh, not only music, of course, Beatles is great music, but it's also a great uh, world of imagination, of yeah. a poetical material, a rock and roll poetical material. So uh, so I'm, I'm telling you my story. You know, I'm not going very deep into the creative process, but mm-hmm. in, to me, like the, the big thing was to try to... Uh, I've seen, and and again, I would approach another taboo at Cirque, you know. I think that I was offered many shows since Love by Cirque. And okay. for years I was saying, you know what, I'm, I want to I wanna achieve love. And I, wanna, I will not create, I will not commit to another creation until I'm, I'm happy with, I've done with, with what I've done with love. And I felt I had, I had other stuff in my life, in my career to do than, than create shows at Cirque. But uh, mm. And but I was offered many many shows uh, in different contexts, and it never happened because uh, I, I'm I'm not sure. Like uh, in the recent years, I've seen shows that were more satisfying, but I've seen like great masters, great artists trying to create, to give their best with sick and failed to it, and and selling out. And to me, I was not at ease working in this zone you know where mm. you will ask you will have success but you will sacrifice part of what you really need to express on a very personal level and to get from artists also the limits of that because they are feeling that even though they're doing a great job they're also feeling a monster you know mm. and to me it became some sort of a a difficult contradiction to to sustain or to support. And for, for instance, like do, creating a show, and it started that to me in Las Vegas, you know, mm-hmm. like to be in the middle of, a, of a, such a dream work 
in the middle of such a ecological catastrophe, to me, it was a, a big contradiction you know, mm, to, yeah. to, to feed that monster in Las Vegas. You mean you were like in a dream because you had all that creative power doing that thing, but at the same time you felt like I'm contributing to Correct. this city in the middle of the desert, like I'm going to bring in more traffic, more people, like turn into more energy expenditure, and like I'm contributing to that ecological problem. Right. And, and I think, and I think even though Las Vegas is for many reasons and for many people, uh, the, the place where you can realize your dreams, mm -hmm. it is a nightmare and it's not the direction where we should go. This is the, somehow like the opposite uh, direction we should take. Yeah. Fortunately, what saved my life is the beauty of the nature around Las Vegas there. It's so beautiful that you say, okay, hopefully nature can be stronger than what human beings are doing. But when you land in mm -hmm. Vegas or where you, when you take off and you look at the rocks around Lake Mead, you can see that there is a problem and there are already farmers suffering from the fact that we are holding water to feed the golf court in Las mm -hmm. Vegas while farmers are... are are working and, and dying on their fields, you know? So, and to me, being like the clown juggling with 50 balls in the middle of that uh, Babylon is, is still uh, some sort of a major uh, paradox. So I, I became, in, in 2010 uh, here, I became some sort of an activist because I felt I needed to feed my redemption from all the success and glory and money <laughs> I got from that uh, ecological catastrophe. But that's another story. I'm, I'm talking about that because now my, my life, a big part of my life, uh, I use my, I would say, uh, uh, the, the freedom that I was given in, ter in terms of money by, by the success of those uh, mm. shows in Sikh, uh, to give back to my community. Uh, and trying to make a difference with the uh, the climate change uh, war and uh, and the biodiversity war uh, these days there were there were there was a conclusion of all the countries on the planet except the United States about bio to protect biodiversity but we know that part of that is also fake and we we know we need to put pressure and so to me at one point. I think the fact that I'm a father, I have three sons, now I'm a grandfather, I feel like I have an important duty trying to preserve the beauty of life. Uh, and, and somehow it cannot only be by creating even the mm -hmm. best shows possible uh, to satisfy my own creativity. I think we all need to give spend some of our time trying to preserve the beauty of life because we are now the, the witness of a major loss, of a major devastation and, that goes on. And unfortunately, like all every business with their planes, their travels, their transport, even though at Cirque there's, there've been like a huge effort uh, mm -hmm. uh, done by Guy with the One Drop Foundation and also all the behaviors at Cirque, you know, it's still uh, challenging for to grow, to get bigger, to, to sell more things, and and uh, unfortunately to pollute a little more. So 
I try to mm-hmm. find a balance and I'm not saying that because I'm better than any other person, <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm part of the worst uh, contributors to the, to the pollution for sure. But I'm saying that we, we need to face that problem. Yeah. And hopefully like I can see now in Mutar's approach, uh, there will be like, yeah, for sure. Even just the title of the show, you know, echo is, is, a, uh, it, 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 there is a, a will, there is a need there is a common sense to to protect the common good but in the meantime we know that there are people that gets richer and richer that take advantage of that devastation and 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 and, and we need to resist we are in a era where we need to behave as artists mm-hmm. like the artists behave in front of uh, uh, german fascism uh, and during the second world war, you know, it's, it's a war now against life, against the beauty of life on this planet. And we are not winning the war for the moment. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite, you know, when you, when you be, when you're 20 and you're full of dreams, uh, and you feel free of saying everything you need to say, but when you get older and you got, you got richer, you took advantage of the civilization that gave you like a lot of uh, money and, and glory and satisfaction and then material comfort, not only material, because I had the great human opportunity, for instance, at Cirque to share with so many beautiful mm-hmm. human beings, you know, talented artists from all over the, the planet, from all, all, all the horizons and to gather those people together. You know, one day I choose to, uh, to, I choose. I, I said, okay, in the middle of the Beatles show, there will be a moment where we would go silence and we'll do music with no Beatles uh, notes. Okay. And then I said, okay, let's have a look at a, a great South African dancer who could tap on his feet in a silent moment in, in the middle of our stage and rock the house like the Beatles. And at one point, after months of research, we've we've uh, we've met with Michael. He was not performing, but he was mm-hmm. been performing for the show for uh, at least ten years. Now he became some sort of a panther, but he's a great dancer too. And just to like to get that feeling that I had this opportunity to take this guy from, I think he was from Soweto, and to bring him in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. civilized jungle called Las Vegas to shine as the most beautiful human being, like a little jewel, a diamond in the middle of this beauty of Beatles music. It makes you feel good. It makes you mm-hmm. feel proud that you're dry, you're doing the right thing at the right place for the right people with the right people, you know? So I was given like, it's not only the fact that we had success, but, I succeeded or I met a few moments where it really happened with human beings. And when it happens, when you connect, when you know you connect and when you feel good about it, now it's just my work, my work to, to make sure that this beauty in the middle of a stage or a racer room will be given to the last row in the, the last seats in the last row. So, and Cirque in this sense, is a great opportunity. I remember when we were creating Varekai, September 2001. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I think it's Stéphane Mongeau who came in the restaurant room and saying, well, there are there is an attack in New York City now. And uh, one of the artists in Valakai was supposed to fly to perform a, a show in New York the day after. And uh, and we could see, like, we, we all left the rehearsal room, we watched the TV, we've seen mm. those angels falling to the ground from the World Trade, the World Trade Center. Center. And then when then when we got back to get together in the rehearsal room, I said, well, you know what? We have a great opportunity. We are human beings from different backgrounds, different language, culture, religion, working together. And we're not competing. We're working together to create beauty. And we have a meaningful and deep message to, to, to share with the American audience and to the rest of the, wor- of the world. We have the chance the, to have an opportunity mm-hmm. to answer to that violence that day. And, 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 we, and this is what makes Sinsale so beautiful, so strong. Montreal is a place where we can gather people from all over the world. And together, we, we learn. I mean, I've learned my English at Sinsale. Not, not really at Sinsale, but everyone speaks like their Cirque du Soleil English. Yeah, you know? it's true. <laughs> we, find, we find our way to communicate, to create, and to give the world the beauty this world needs to be saved. And, and I deeply believe that Cirque is still capable of that. When I saw Curios a few years ago, mm-hmm. I was so pleased to see that somehow, to my taste, create, creativity was fully back at Cirque. And I'm going to go to the Royal Albert Hall where uh, Varekai performed two times uh, over the last years. And I'm so happy and somehow proud to be part of the family that that is bringing Curios to the Royal Albert Hall. So even though I I have no problem flirting with some taboos at sick about creation and decadency, uh, I can also see as a privileged witness of the work uh, that's been created for the last almost 40 years now, um, that Cirque is still cap- capable of great things. Yeah. Great moves. Absolutely. And in the heart of that, that's the meeting of people of, and, and, and the shock of ideas, the, the trust in the chaos where you can gather in a small room people that at first they don't speak the same languages. They don't know. They, there's a lot of unknown to be tamed and of darkness to be lit. But at one point, you know you can touch the magic and you create the magics and miracles are happening at some Sunday sometimes. <laughs> That's amazing what you're saying. Thank you so much. I have one last question for you. Yeah, sure. If tomorrow aliens would land on Earth, how would you explain Sec du Soleil to them? I think the the beauty of what's happening on a stage at Cirque du Soleil is very close to the beauty of what nature is creating, which is the meeting of different influences, different forces, different desire for life, for growth, for colors, for light, for it to shine. And I think that probably 
a Cirque du Soleil show would be a very good host for people from another universe mm -hmm. or another planet to come and see uh, the humanity as it, at its best. We are living in a period where there's a lot of polarization and we, we're, we're in, and on, on one hand, we're trying to support the beauty of the differences, but also there's a lot of intolerance in front of the, this, that diversity. And I think Silk Soleil is a lesson in this sense that together we can gather and create peacefully beauty that make us feel good. So I think that I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm giving you a, a definition for <laughs> for an alien, but I'm certainly certainly opening a door uh, where humanity could appear at its best to visitors. Oh, thank you so much, Dominique. No, that's a great answer. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> taking the time to come and my pleasure chat with me. And I wish. You to, thank you so much for all the work you're doing for the environment and the local communities. And I'll be following the work closely. Until then, I'll wish you good luck. And so I don't know if you have like a editorial committee that will like listen to the editing, but I I, I don't think I went too far. You know, I, I'm not I don't I didn't go to the gossip. <laughs> I have like my critical point of view, and mostly like the people at SIG, they know uh, that I'm a free thinker, and uh, they know my opinions. Yeah, you know, for about sure. SIG. Um, I don't want to spoil the beauty that I experience uh, with Cirque. I don't want to spit in the soup or on the table. You know, that's not my point. I'm just saying that it looks so much like a world of beauty all the time. And I think there are zones of darkness mm -hmm. uh, as in every, uh, uh, in every family, you know, and I think it's, it's worth it also to, to, to let know that, this is not necessarily an easy thing to gather people from different horizons mm. and create beauty. It, it's, it's a, it's a big challenge. And sometimes I think sick many times sick succeeded to make that happen. And sometimes it failed. And, uh, that's it. So I, in other words, I, I mean, uh, I mean, you'll be a better judge compared to the other interviews that you did if you want to edit or cut something, but I don't feel I, I went to any uh, too dark zone. I no, say. I don't think so. I think you, uh, as you said, you, you gave a very balanced perspective and I think the beauty uh, of the work speaks for itself. And I think to sprinkle that beauty with hints of just truth and to give a little bit of context within how that beauty comes to life was perfect. There's one more thing I think I want to add. I, I talk already about the trust that I felt from Guy. And I had like a very, a few uh, critical moments where uh, I just want to add that, okay? Like, I think it's important that I always felt the support of Guy La Liberté, even in very more difficult moment, challenging moment. He always trusted the artist he had hired, sometimes even more than his own intuitions or opinions. That's one thing. Okay? I think that there is a, a real, from my experience, my perspective, there is a real freedom in the frame of Sensele in terms of cre creation. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing, because Franco Dragon just left, 
I feel I owe everything to Franco Dragon. I think he's the one with Michel Gret and Gilles Saint-Croix and Guy and Guy Caron. Well, the team around Franco uh, opened the field. They opened the track. They explored and they've been giving the impulsion of what makes Sig Soleil. And I think we, we owe a lot to the great talent and vision of Franco Dragon. No matter what happens with the Panama Papers or whatever, you know, I, I think Franco has his own dark zones. Probably, I'm not aware of that. But what I'm saying is that I owe everything to Franco's work and to his uh, creative family. And I wanna, I wanted to take that opportunity to make this little tribute of a master. He's been to me really a master, a mentor. Uh, he's been the genius in the lamp. And I would say with Michel Gray that I, I think is, uh, is too much in the, in the shadow. Uh, so I wanted to make like th this little tribute to Franco that I think is, uh, he deserved. Uh, and I didn't have the opportunity. So that's my point. For yeah, but thank you yeah, for sure. I think it's beautiful tribute. And I agree with what you're saying for sure. He's been the one who created, yeah, he created a past. He's a pioneer. No... Yeah. So unfortunately, I have to go. They're ringing at my door. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much. I thank you. Take care, Dominique. Take care. Bye. What a life, huh? From cleaning elephant shit to creating a mega Las Vegas production with Cirque du Soleil and the Beatles. What a journey. So inspiring too. I love his perception. And to me, some of his stories illustrate perfectly the inherent relationship between creation and destruction. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, take 30 seconds and go on whatever podcast app you're using and give us a good rating and review. It really makes a difference and helps the show growing. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Now, guys, I think we're done for today. If you're performing tonight, one show, two shows, and for some of you guys, three shows, you're strong, you're amazing, big mailed. And until next week, as we say in the circus, see you down the road. <laughs> <laughs>